Thank you for listening, and we hope this message will strengthen and help you in your walk with God. And I want to read a statement to you that really is a prophetic word that Brother Copeland gave. Some of you are familiar. Most of you probably at this church would be familiar with Kenneth Copeland's ministry. And he, he had something from the Lord that described how and what we could expect this year. And these aren't only for a calendar year time. It's just to plug something into our soul and light up an expectation for us. But he really had four words from the Lord. This is a year for correction. Everybody say correction. That's not an exciting word for a lot of people, but we'll work on that for just a moment or in just a moment. A, a year for correction, for direction, for protection, for perfection. And then he added this, the Lord did. This was the Lord really speaking through Brother Copeland. He said, you'll, you'll know what to do. Say it out loud, I'll know what to do. There are so many times we believe a lot of right things, we just don't really know what to do. What course do we take? What road do we go down? What path do we follow? I mean, we know we have scripture, we know we have ideas and things, but in what we're involved in right now, where are we going to stand to obtain the kind of help and the kind of victory that God says belongs to us? I want to know what to do. With that in mind, I want to read a statement to you out of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And this is out of the events in Jehoshaphat's experience. He was the leader at this stage in history of God's people, Judah. The Israel was divided. We don't need to go into all that. But he was over a segment of, of God's nation. And they were in a real tough spot reason I maybe I didn't position this entirely as I need to we're in a time right now when things are pulling on people in a lot of directions there's a great deal of information coming out and not all of it's all that great in the information we're getting you know there's lots of reasons to be troubled about the days that we're in now Jesus told us not to be don't let your heart be troubled you believe in God, believe He gave us all kinds of reasons to not let our heart be troubled. But there are a lot of reasons that people's heart really is troubled about the days that we're in, about not only their own experiences, but what's going on in the nation, what's going on around the world, what's happening in the economy, what's happening with diseases and disease control, <laughs> as if they're going to control it. All right, don't get me started on that. Troubled times. But troubled times don't have to be trouble for us. That doesn't mean we put our head in the sand and pretend like nothing's happening. We know things are happening. We just have to grasp hold of understanding how and where to stand so that these things that are happening elsewhere are not happening to us. Here's, the, here's what the psalmist said in Psalm 91, one of our favorite psalms. It's become more and more important even in these days. He said, a thousand will fall at one side, ten thousand at the other, but it will not come near me. 
Now, how does that work? I don't really know entirely how that works. I just know that it does. But here's Jehoshaphat leading God's people, and man, they are in a really rough spot. There's three nations, three armies, three powerful peoples that have created an alliance to all come out against Jehoshaphat and the people he's leading. And it's a much bigger problem than they can handle. Sometimes we feel like we are in the middle of things that are a lot more than we know how to handle. That's not the time to feel that you are desperate. That's the time to lock into the real truth and let the Holy Spirit give you a path to follow. But here's what Jehoshaphat did in the middle of this, and I'm just going to summarize a few things. But he made this statement in verse 12, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12. He said, Oh, our God, will you not judge them? Now watch this. We have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. You ever feel powerless? And then he said it straight out. Nor do we know what to do. The great leader didn't know what to do. But here's what he did that is different from many leaders and most leaders actually. He said, but our eyes are on you. Said out loud, out loud, my eyes are on you. Now that sounds pretty cliche in a lot of ways, but this was a very pivotal moment in the presence of God when this man didn't know what to do, but he knew that God had answers and a solution and that there was a direction to go. He just had to get a hold of it. We just have to get a hold of it. So you drop down into verse 15. Watch this. He got a word from the Lord. Really, a spirit of God came on one of the, one of the young men. And he declared this to Jehoshaphat and all of, the, all of Judah. He said, listen, all of you, all of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you. Watch these next few words. This is, he said, do not be afraid. You know, he had a lot of reasons to be afraid. Thousands of them out there. It did not look good. He had reports come to him of how powerful the armies were that were in an alliance against him. But the word of the Lord came and said something different. He said, do not be afraid. Or dismayed because of this great multitude. God called it a multitude and it was a great one. And then here comes these words. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Everybody say, but God's. Man, that feels good to know that God is in the mix of any war, any battle, any threat, any issue that you have coming at you. But he's also not oblivious to what it does to us when we get the information or we see the war that is raging against us. It comes to strike fear on the inside. 
The very first thing the word of the Lord was to them and is to us is, do not be afraid or dismayed. Said out loud, I refuse to fear. Now that can sound a little hollow for some people because they're, they're pretty, uh, pretty into the fear situation. The more we meditate on how bad it is and how much worse it looks, the more that fear takes hold. You realize fear really is the currency of the kingdom of darkness like faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. We understand that God is a faith God. That he moves because of faith. That we reach out and we not only receive what he said, but we exercise faith in what he said. Stand on it. Release that faith like a, like a weapon of war. So that God's action goes into action on our behalf. He said the battle's not yours but God's. But here's an interesting thing about that concept. The idea of the battle being the Lord's and not yours doesn't mean you do nothing. Glad you're excited about these ideas. It doesn't mean that you just, okay, God's got this and everything's fine. No, everything wasn't fine at that instant, really. There was still a multitude, a great multitude, God called it, that was all lined up against Jehoshaphat and God's people. And that's how I can feel. Yeah, it's God's, but man, I'm the one getting the report. I'm the one hearing it. I'm the one feeling it. I'm the one in the thick of it. I'm the one they don't like, they're mad at, etc. cetera, whatever the, whatever the deal is. So here's what God tells them, verse 17. He said, you'll not need to fight in this battle. Hmm, seems like a fight already. But you'll not need to fight in this battle. But I want you to see these words. He said, position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation or delivering power of the Lord who is with you. Glory to God. Position yourself. That was absolutely vital to what was about to happen. If we don't take the right position, all of God's great battle and power to deliver us changes. If we're not in position to receive, we don't receive. He said, position yourself. Do you think you can be out of position and receive the same things you would receive if you were in position? Of course not. He said, position yourself and you're going to see something. Don't position yourself, you're still going to see something. It's just not going to be the same thing. He didn't say that, I said that. Oh, you'll see stuff, but it won't be the same thing that God had on his mind for you. So he said, position yourself. And then he told Jehoshaphat the next day exactly where to line up their armies. He told them where to stand, and it was not out on the battlefield. The, bat the battlefield was just over the rise, apparently, or just out of view at that instant, where they lined themselves up. But let me, let me finish that verse, verse 17, and then we'll get off into that idea. 
He said, you'll not need to fight in this battle. Position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Here it is again. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Say it out loud. The Lord is with me too. I know these are, these are obvious concepts, but I've had the Holy Spirit remind me in very clear terms that people are allowing themselves to remain out of position and think that everything's going to be all right as if they were in position. That's really not the way it works, is it? So this is maybe the correction side of what we're talking about right now. Correction doesn't mean God's mad at you. Doesn't mean you're about to take a beating. Doesn't mean that at all. You may know, I, I guess you've maybe talked about flying a little bit around here, that you're flying some. How many of you have heard that he's flying some? And he's even using an airplane to do it now. That's the big shift. I got a pilot's license many years ago and have not been current for decades. Well, one of the things that you are totally accustomed to in flying is making in-flight corrections based on the winds at different altitudes that maybe came across differently than forecasted. And all that means is that you're going to tweak the direction you're going to accommodate the winds that are blowing at the altitude that you're traveling at. Now, you don't have to do that, of course. You can just continue on. When you took off, you were headed at whatever the direction, 180 degrees, and you're headed that direction, and that's it. That's what it's said to do. And whatever altitude you choose, you're staying at 180 degrees. And that's, that's fine if everything is as you originally understood it to be. Well, what typically happens is there's, there's different winds at different altitudes that are not always entirely 100% accurately forecasted. Do you know any weather forecast that has been accurate lately for you? This happens all the time. Being a weather person would be depressing to some if you have to be right in order to feel good about yourself because they are rarely entirely right. Anyway, you get it. What, ha what has to happen is that flight just tweaks the direction to fly maybe more into the wind so that when the wind pushes you, you're still doing 180 degrees over the ground. That's a correction. Flying is all about making corrections. Getting to a destination, which is really the ultimate goal of flying. Getting somewhere. Somebody said, why does a preacher need to fly? In order to get somewhere. But what happened? Let's get back to the Bible. What happened in this instance? God said, position yourself tomorrow morning. Go out to a particular place. Told them exactly where to stand. And then something phenomenal happened. Two of these armies turned on one of the other armies in this alliance and slaughtered them. 
until they were all gone and at that point they turned on each other and those remaining two armies went to battle and slaughtered each other until there were no enemies left. When God told Jehoshaphat to move his army onto the battlefield, they looked out and there was not one enemy left. They were all dead. That's all they saw was dead bodies. Now that would have been a lot since it was a great multitude. Now I realize that's an R-rated kind of picture that we're presenting to you here in church on Sunday morning. But you're used to it, I'm sure. They were all dead. What that tells me and what that can tell you is a lot. One thing is that the battle is already won before you even get on the battlefield. Glory to God. Woo! You've already got victory before you even step out onto the battlefield. It's already been dealt with. This is what Jesus himself has done on our behalf. He has accomplished everything necessary so that you have access to victory in every war, every battle, every issue that lines up against you. Doesn't matter how great it is, how big the report is, how threatening it sounds. The message of the kingdom of God is that you have been given victory. Say it out loud. I've been given victory. The battle's already been won before I even got there. Glory to God. Woo! That means the financial breakthrough is already there to not just pay the bills, but have money left over after the bills. Before you got there, the money was there. Before you got the doctor's report to tell you one thing, Jesus told you something other than that, that healing is already there before they told you that you're not well at all. We just choose what position we're going to stand in. No, that's not denial of the report being given. It's a denial of the report being my truth and my final result. We've learned around here, you've learned it many, many times before this, but we are given facts and we are given truth. God's word is truth. Facts are facts. Just give me the facts. That's all some people live by is the facts. All they want is the facts. And I'm not talking about FAX. I'm talking about the... All right, you get this. Does anybody use facts anymore? Is that... We do. Yes, so do we. God bless you for that. We take the truth and we attack the facts. We take the truth in order to change the facts. The facts are not always really intended to paint the picture of our end result. The facts tell us the way it is now, but God's word is always in action. God is always on, on our side. He is ready for business in our life to deal with the facts so that his truth prevails. Glory to God. Said out loud, truth prevails. This is a theme all through Scripture where people are given something in the way of a, an issue or a problem, but they have to see past that problem in order to see a solution. In this case, it was to look past the threat and get yourself in position. 
You remember Elisha, he faced a similar issue, and there's many of them all through Scripture. There was a point in time where the king of Syria was looking to descend on Israel, and, and uh, that same spirit of destruction that remains over in the Middle East, it's been there a long, long time. And this was one of those times where the king of Syria was coming out after Israel. But something was happening with every, every attempt. God would show Elisha what the plan was. And Elisha would send word to the king in, in Israel and the leadership there. And they would handle things and position themselves in a way where they were not going to be able to be attacked. And this went on time after time. Finally, the king of Syria was convinced that somebody in his inner circle, his inner cabinet, was betraying him and sending word to Israel. But somebody in that king's cabinet said, that's not what's happening at all. They have a prophet, a secret weapon. They have a prophet in Israel, and he is getting information from God as to what you're planning and giving it to Israel so that they are able to avoid your attacks. Glory to God. That's already a good idea. But here's the shocking thing of that story to me. So he makes another plan. He's just been given information that Elisha is getting these plans from the Lord. Every plan he comes up with. But he comes up with another plan anyway. Not against Israel, but against Elisha. And it just didn't seem to occur to this king that while God has been giving information about Israel, he could also give information about a plan against Elisha. That just didn't occur. You know, you can't help stupid. That may seem a little harsh, but it is the truth. You, you know what happened. The king sent his armies to surround the city of Dothan that Elisha was in. And in one morning here, just a few days later, the assistant to Elisha got up and looked out and saw these, this vast army of chariots and horses and warriors. And the threat was clear. He was terrified. He went to Elisha and he said, we got trouble right here in Dothan. He was terrified. Why? Because he had looked at the threat. Elisha was not terrified. He knew all about the threat. We got to learn something here. What you continue to look at is going to have an impact on how strong you can stand against the attacks or strategies of an enemy. Which way you look. It's been said before by others, I've said it myself, if you are spending more time taking in the daily news about the war, about a disease, about the threats, about the economies, ups and downs, about inflation and this and that, if you're spending more time on that kind of information than you are meditating at all on God's Word or seeing things from God's point of view, then your discouragement is self-inflicted. Yeah. You're just talking yourself right into depression. That's right. 
What did Elisha do? said, Lord, open this man's eyes that he can see that there's more that are with us than there are with them. And this assistant's eyes were opened and he saw the hosts of heaven had surrounded what had come to surround Elisha. Everything changed. These are the kind of things that you and I need to remind ourselves is God's willingness to go into action on our behalf right now. Whatever you're facing, there are miracles. We sang about it. There's miracles that you can see that God wants you to see. You see it first by the Spirit of God before you see it happening in your own house. But you still see it. Say it out loud. I see it too. This is what God's after. But this comes with a warning, and I want to give you this warning. It actually comes from an unlikely source maybe to a lot of people. It comes from something General Douglas MacArthur said many years ago. If you remember, he was one of the great generals of the Second World War. And uh, he talked about failure in war. And he said it this way. He said, the history of failure in war can be traced to two words. Too late. He went on to describe what he's talking about. Too late in comprehending the deadly purpose of a potential enemy. Too late in realizing the mortal danger. Too late, I want you to catch some of these really close. This one I want you to really hang on to. Too late in preparedness. This next one also. This forces for, lastly he said, too late in standing with one's friends. Now, while there's all kinds of ways we could apply that to current political situations, that's really not my business here today. It's not about the politics of things because these are similar ideas to what you and me as believers personally find to be the history of failures in our own life. So I want you to hear it again with that in mind. Too late in comprehending the deadly purpose of your enemy, the devil. This is no game to the kingdom of darkness. You are the enemy. There is a war going on between good and evil, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, light and dark. There's only two kingdoms. You get that, don't you? There's not three or five or ten. There's just two. There's God's way and then there's everything else. Now That's a little narrow for some people. But I've been accused of being narrow for a long time. Too late in realizing the mortal danger. Satan really does want to take out your life and he'll kill you with a hangnail if you give him the opportunity. You are the enemy. Too late in preparedness. I want you to hear that because preparation in dealing with the things we're dealing with now is absolutely vital. It's not hard. But we have to be prepared. We have to prepare ourselves by knowing what we will think before we're faced with the issue. What are you going to do when you're given a bad report of one type or another? Where are you going to run? You're going to run to the kingdom of God? You're going to run to the word of God? That's the first place to go. 
Find what God said about this situation. Find what the promise is that covers what I'm about to face or what is potentially coming my way. Too late in preparedness is a recipe for failure. Jesus talked about this. You can't build your house in the storm like you can build your house on a sunny day. He didn't say it just that way, but I'm, I'm saying it that way. We build some things into our life ahead of time. Man, this is the time to be sure that you are building something into your own soul. Because we've been told by Jesus what is coming down the pike. Even the things today shouldn't really surprise us. It's, it's kind of surprising what it looks like and who, who the culprits seem to be right now. But we're not surprised by the threats of the day. We're not surprised by the wars or rumors of wars. We're not surprised by the diseases coming. We just didn't know it was going to look like this or sound like this. Too late in uniting all possible forces for resistance. Again, say resistance. you got to take a position of resistance. Now... MacArthur said it's too late. Here's the thing in Jesus. It is never too late. <laughs> Glory to God. It is never too late to resist the enemy. It's never too late to speak God's word. It's never too late to lay hold on God's promise. It is never too late. God never writes us off and says, you are too far gone. No, no, there's story after story, testimony after testimony of people who looked like it was too far gone for them and bam, here comes the power of God and things turn around. God is a God of the turnaround. But we have to take hold of it and position ourselves with that or we don't see the turnarounds the way God wants them. So we position ourselves. That's what, that's what Jehoshaphat had to do. We position ourselves in faith. We position ourselves with the Word. We're not casual about it. Sunday morning's not the only time we get the Word. This is the way we live, man. This is our daily bread. We go after it. Whether it's first thing in the morning or in the afternoon or in the evening, the timing doesn't matter necessarily. I mean, sometimes works better for some people than others. But what's important is that every day you are doing something about the way you think, about what you've embraced, about what you meditate on and think about, about your intake, and about what comes out of your mouth. Every day there are certain things that are just like the habits of what we do. You know, when you get up in the morning, you know, you look kind of rough. For a while. Some people, it doesn't change all day, I guess. But uh, for the most part, we, we go to work. You look in the mirror. You do a few things. You do something with your hair, if you got any. And uh, you do something with your brushing your teeth, we hope, on a regular basis. And you're doing a better job than you used to. And uh, et cetera, et cetera. You even floss your teeth on a regular basis. Now, my dentist told me, Years ago, he said, you know, all this talk about flossing, you really don't, you don't really have to floss your teeth. You just, just floss the ones you want to keep. 
He had me for a moment. I was really excited. <laughs> Ronald Reagan was famous for many things, but one of the things he talked about a great deal was peace through strength. We want peace, but peace doesn't come by only wanting peace. Richard Nixon said this, he said, if we want, if we think we can have peace using only peaceful means, we'll end up the peace of another nation. Amen. To keep peace, you have to prepare for war. Now, I'm not talking politics, I'm talking your personal life. If you want to walk in the peace that God has given you, this is what Jesus said He's given us access to, His peace. You want peace on every level. Peace in your mind, peace in your body, peace in your family, peace in your finances. If you want peace to hit every level of your personal life, you have to prepare for war because it is a war. But it's a, it's a battle we don't have to fight in alone God said, this is my battle, but you do have to position yourself for him to be able to do the actions that he wants to do. Am I making any sense to you? So let me read something to you that the Apostle Peter wrote to us. 1 Peter chapter 5. Can you take a little more? You ready, you ready for me to, you ready for lunch? You ready to go? I know, what could you say? Yeah, we really would like to go. Can you speed it up a little bit? No. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6, it says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may what? I want you, all right, you're not even there yet. I get it. I'm moving too fast, but it's up there. That he may exalt you. That ought to, that ought to hit you like with a, with a real good feeling right there. Because God has something on his mind for you right now, and that is not to squash you down, it is to lift you up, that he may exalt you. Just ponder that part of this for just a moment, that he may exalt you right on time. He said, humble yourself. Humbling ourselves is not self-abasement. It's not telling God what a worm we are. I, I realize, God, I'm a nothing. I'm a nobody. I'm no good. I'm like an insect on the earth. I'm, I don't deserve to be even on the bottom of your shoe and all this kind of nonsense that some people get. Listen, you are the crown of creation. This is what Scripture teaches. We have to see ourselves in the light that God sees us. So to humble ourselves is not to knock ourselves down and have all of this self-depreciation and think that that's somehow humble. It's not humble. It's incorrect. No, arrogance isn't right either. Don't, don't take that wrong. That's not the idea. But the idea is to humble ourselves, is to see ourselves in the light of how he sees us and what he's done on our behalf. To humble myself is to believe what God says above what I feel about me. To humble myself is to believe that God wants to lift my life up even when it feels like everything is lined up against me to beat my life down. 
This is the message of the gospel. Good news. Everybody say good news. Man, it's good news. God wants to lift our life. There's so many things that come to knock us down. Sadly, we get around some people that it seems like that's their mission also, to knock us down. Some parents even want to remind their kids of how many things they've screwed up so they don't get too smart-alecky and too off, too big for their britches, as some used to say. You know, I haven't heard that in a long time. I'm not sure I'll say it again for a long time. <laughs> Humbling ourselves is taking God's point of view above our own or anybody else's. So he said, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And here's part of how you do that. Casting all of your care, anxiety or fear, that word care could be translated anxiety or fear. Cast all of your anxiety, fear and care upon him for he cares. It's a different word in the original text for care. He is interested in you. Your life is so important to God. He is focused on you. He calls you personally the apple of his eye. He calls you his favorite child. Now that's amazing. God calls every one of his children his very favorite. That's amazing. You know, that's what makes him God and you not, man. You can, you can have a favorite child. Don't admit it to the others. Please. <laughs> you can have a favorite child. Many do. We have one daughter. She's my favorite daughter. But the thing that's so powerful about God and His relationship to us is He handles each one of us as His very favorite. Because that's how He sees it. So He goes on with some real instruction about this humbling ourselves business. When in verse 8 He says, Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking something. He's on a mission, and it is to devour you. It's no game. It's the real deal. He's looking for how to wreck your life, how to steal your peace. He's the thief. He's always after you. It never stops. He is totally unrelenting. But that doesn't sway us one bit. We refuse to fear because we are unrelenting ourselves. We refuse to give in or give up. So he goes on and he said, resist him steadfast in the faith. Resist him how? Steadfast. Resist him consistently. Resist him on an ongoing basis. Resist any information he tries to sow like a seed into your head. We learn how to guard the door of our own heart, of our own mind, of our own brain, of our own thinking. So he says, resist him steadfast in faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. 
But may the God of all grace, who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Boy, those are some powerful words. Perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Let me read something that the psalmist David said right along this line, Psalm 55, verse 22. I'm going to use the Passion Translation. I like the Passion Translation. David said this, so here's what I've learned through it all. Man, you want to hear what he's about to say because he learned some things. And he went through it all. David did. He said, leave all your cares and anxieties at the feet of the Lord and measureless grace will strengthen you. Glory to God. If you're not... If you're not experiencing some of this grace strengthening you, it's very likely you haven't done all that well at leaving all of your anxieties and cares at the foot of the Lord. (laughs) This is part of the correction. Let me go back to that first Peter, but let me read that from the Passion Translation. I'll be quick. Verse 7 says, pour out all your worries and stress on him and leave them there. That's pretty straight up. He will, he always tenderly cares for you. Be well balanced and always alert. Always alert. Because your enemy, the devil, roams around incessantly like a roaring lion looking for its prey to devour. Said out loud, I'm not his prey. He can't have me. We have, to, we have to put a red line in the sand in one that really counts, actually, one that is for real. So he goes on, verse 9 says, Take a decisive stand against him and resist his every attack with strong and vigorous faith. Every seed Satan tries to sow, every bit of information he tries to hook you with. I mean, from the commercials you watch on TV that tell you flu season is here. Well, it may be somewhere, but it is not here. I refuse it in the name of Jesus. Some people take all that so seriously. Well, it's flu season now. They go out and load up on all their medicines that they're familiar with. They make sure they have all their shots. Oh, shots. I'm so tired of shots. Gosh. Tired of seeing people get them. All right, that's another issue. They even buy new pajamas, some of them, because they know they're going to be spending time in bed over the flu season. Well, I need some new pajamas anyway. Flu season. Make sure they have... Days off coming, you know, at the job and all this kind of stuff. They plan for it. They prepare for it. That's the wrong kind of preparation from what he's talking about in the Word. If you want new pajamas, I think you ought to go get some. I really couldn't care less. I mean, that means nothing. Get the flowers if you like, but I don't. Take a decisive stand against it. 
The moment you get word, the moment the seed comes, I talk back to those kind of commercials. Well, it's flu season. Nope, not in my house. Yeah, but Dennis, what if you get the flu? I'm healed. But what if you get the flu? I'm healed. Getting it or not getting it doesn't, doesn't really tell the truth. The truth is, I'm healed in the name of Jesus. I'm just going to go with the truth regardless of the facts. Take a decisive stand. All right, I think we've read enough of that one. Let me drop down to one last passage I want to give you. From Psalm 34, verse 14. It's actually two verses, so it's one passage. Let's go with that. Verse 14, Psalm 34, verse 14. Keep turning your back on sin and make peace your life motto. Now, I'm still using the Passion Translation here. I love that statement. That's what I want you to hear. Make peace, the peace of God, the shalom of God. The nothing missing, nothing broken kind of input from God. Make that your motto. God, in you, in Christ, now that I'm in Jesus, there's nothing missing, nothing broken in my life. That's what peace has brought. I know it's the Hebrew word for peace, but Jesus has brought shalom into your life. He is the prince of peace. So he said, make it your life motto. Drop down to verse 19. Oh, let me read the last statement of verse 14. Practice being at peace with everyone. That does take practice. Vicki can prove that. She's still at peace with me. She's practiced. Wasn't that kind and sweet of me to say? Verse 19 says, even when bad things happen to the good and godly ones, the Lord will save or deliver or really snatch up is that word for save. The Lord will save them or snatch them up and not let them be defeated by what they face. Glory to God. I don't know what you're facing, of course. I know everybody's got something going on that nobody knows anything about. But here's what the anointing has come to do. The anointing has come to destroy a yoke of bondage. The anointing has come to release you from the fear that Satan's tried to sow into your soul. Jehoshaphat was terrified. Elisha's assistant was terrified. But they didn't stay terrified. Courage in the face of trouble doesn't mean that you are without any fear. It just means that you are following your heart to overwhelm and overcome whatever fear is trying to do to steal from you. And I want to pray for you right now. I believe the anointing has come to do some business in this place. We make peace our motto. We make His Word our source of supply. It is our truth in the face of whatever threat has come. Now there's some of you here that you've, you've received some sort of medical report that is troubling you right now. I want you to stand if that's you. Some sort of medical report. I know it by the Holy Spirit. I know you're here. And, and uh, this, this is the good moment for you. 
Glory to God. Because in the face of reports, we have the report of the Lord. So here we stand in the name of Jesus. We're not too late. It's never too late. Whatever the report is, is not the final report. We're not ignoring the fact that a report has been given. But God has a report that releases power to shift what's going on in your body. In the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening today. We believe God's Word is what will sustain us in any situation in our lives. For more information, please visit us at familywc.org or you can download the app. Look for us as FWC Como. Until the next time, remember, you are God's best.